finding your seats. And as we're, we're kind of circulating and moving around and getting close, oh, you guys did a great job. You guys are awesome. Maybe. <laughs> I know you're going to the beach later, so I'll do my best. Now, one of the things, one of the things that we, we have been studying in this book of Ecclesiastes in this series, blah, 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 yada, 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 is kind of the, the, um, the, the, the half-truths that the world tells us, the, the way of, of thinking, and cause we get a smaller group, I'm going to come down here, um, uh, and this kind of this, this way of thinking that pervades our world that says um, that there, there's a certain way things work, and human wisdom says do it this way. And Ecclesiastes is, is a, an anthology of human wisdom, and it's meant to highlight for us God's wisdom. By, by showing us the failure of human wisdom, it shows us the need for God's wisdom. This is a common theme in the ancient world. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we're going to be looking at a passage uh, of, the, of Ecclesiastes that, that really, really, really sounds good. And this is the thing about human wisdom. Sometimes it just sounds good. And if you're not careful, you, you listen to it and you say, oh, that's great. And Solomon brings this in, and it is very subtle, this passage. And we're going to look at it this morning. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. And, and I'm just going to I'm going to clarify this, the sacrifice of fools. Um, this phrase, it's hard to translate. It could be translated sacrifice of fools as in fools possess it. It could like fools sacrifice. It could be foolish sacrifice. Or it could actually be um, that sacrifices are foolish. OK, so there's, there's a couple of different ways this could be read. It's a hard it's a it's kind of an interesting uh, phrasing and, and translators don't completely understand it. Uh, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the works of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Now, this passage looks good. At its surface, when you read it, it sounds like, okay, what the, the writer is saying is basically, um, just be careful. You don't want to tell God stuff that you can't back up. But there's, there's a couple things in here that kind of clue in that there's more to it than just that. Um, one of the particular things that pops up, it, to be honest, is in verse 6. In verse 6, there's a, there's a phrase that has no place in the Old Testament. And it is temple messenger. 
Now, the, the word that underlies that is the same word that gets translated in the Bible as angel, but it's not an angel. It's not a spiritual character. It is something from ancient Babylonian religions. And the way that these religions worked, they were considered, they were what were considered mysteries. And so you and me, the average normal people, we were not allowed to actually go into a, a, a mystery temple. We, we got to kind of go to the kind of the outside. This actually got built into um, the second temple, a temple built by King Herod. Um, it got built into the Jewish system, but that was much, much later, and it's not in the Bible that that's there. And the idea was that basically there, there were priests, and they were way in, and they were kind of buddies with God, and then there were the rest of us, and we were way out, and we kind of needed these go-betweens, these messengers, these communicators. Now, the messengers were took many different shapes in many different cultures. Babylon had them first, but eventually um, they became things like oracles, um, vestal virgins, uh, a lot of different characters that kind of were not priests, but they were not people. They were go-betweens. That, that has no place in, in the, the, the Jewish law. The, in the Hebrew law, there were no temple messengers. You went to the priests. You went to the Levites. You didn't go to some um, bizarre go-between. And, and this, is, this is one of, uh, it's, it's one of the things that kind of clues us in. But I, I want to kind of, we've read through that passage and it sounded good. Now I want to give you a, a summary of it and I want to read it again uh, the way that, that, that it really kind of comes off. The summary is this. All right? This is really the summary of this entire passage. It's this. Keep your mouth shut. Keep your head down. Do what's expected of you. Don't stand out. And above all, don't upset the God. Now, when we first read it, because we read it with a, with a, a, a Christian mentality, we don't, we don't read it that way. We, we force it into kind of our way of thinking. But this is really the way that this, this passage goes. I'm going to read it again for you. I'm going to change my tone. Uh, because I read it like a, a, a reverent Western Christian would. Now I'm going to read it more the way that, um, just in interpretation, it probably should be read. Guard your steps when you go to the house of a God. Go near to listen rather than offer foolish sacrifice. Because fools don't know what they do wrong. Don't be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You're on earth. So keep your words few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. So when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it because He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. So don't let your mouth lead you into sin. And don't protest to the temple messenger that your vow was a mistake. Why make God angry at what you say so he destroys the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore stand in awe of God. If you notice the terminology that is used here, it is keep your head down, keep your hands to yourself, don't do anything that might upset God. 
Now, it contains truth. I'm not saying there isn't truth in here. But is this the way that we are called to worship the God of the Bible? To not take any chances. To not take any risks. Don't make a vow if you're not sure that you can fulfill it. Don't take any... Don't, don't, just, just be quiet. Don't risk God's judgment. Now, when I gave the, the message to... The, the series of messages to... To Trish, to put in the bulletin, the title of this message was called Tension. Um, I'm going to change that title, so if you, you're taking notes and you want to cross out the title, we're going to call this Church, Inc. And, and we want to look at a, a situation. I want to I just show you a, a quick picture, if you don't mind. There is a, a, a pervading idea in Christianity in, in the world that says that the church, it, that you, you just do your obligation and the church will take care of what it takes care of and you take care of what you take care of and things will be okay. There is a pervading idea in Christianity today that says that the purpose of a church service and you'll notice I often don't use the term service. I generally call it a worship gathering. I don't call it a service. Um, but the tr- purpose of a church service is to give you something worth coming to. That with the music has to be rocking. And the preacher has to, to, to fit into sound bites. And the sermon outline has to be fulfilled completely. And the PowerPoint has to be crisp. And the lighting has to be perfect. And the parking has to be adequate. And the children's ministry has to be engaging enough that you never get paged. And we expect church to be Walmart. Now we all hate Walmart. I mean Walmart buys stuff from the Chinese. Keeps the Chinese industry in. in, It's from Arkansas. No offense to anybody from Arkansas. So it must be bad. Right? Now. But Walmart, I mean, we walk into Walmart. Does Walmart ever have exactly what you want? It almost always has something like what you want. And it's at a price that you can afford. But it's rarely ever what you actually want. It's, it's always kind of a, a, a lower version. I, I buy my shoes at Walmart, right? my sneakers, um, because I go through sneakers like crazy. And whether they're $100 a pair or $20 a pair, they wear out in six months. Um, so, so I go to Walmart and I buy my sneakers. And the sneakers at Walmart look good. They look okay. The, the problem is that somewhere along the line, somebody in Bangladesh hot glued the sole to the rest of the shoe. And eventually, when it gets warm enough, the thing's going to fall apart. I hate buying my shoes at Walmart, but I do. Why do I do it? Because I can afford it. And because they give me what I want, when I want it. And I'm not indicting Walmart. People are going to go, he doesn't like Walmart. He says Walmart is un-American. That's not what I said. Don't let all the email forwards about Walmart say that. I'm just saying, we don't like the corporate world. How many of you own a computer that runs Windows Does it work always for you? Do you find yourself cursing the blue screen of death when it pops up? And yet, when a new version of Windows comes out, we're going to buy it. Computer Inc., Retail Inc., Church Inc. Church Inc. says, keep your head down. Don't, we're going to give you what you want. And that's what's being said here. Look, the temple exists. You go, you do your thing, 
but don't push it. I want to give you some things that Church Inc. wants you to do, and I'm going to, we're going to draw it from this passage. Church Inc. is interested in your passive observance, not action. Church Inc. wants you to sit back and be ministered to. You go ahead and receive. You listen. You Oh, that preacher, he's a fantastic guy. He's awesome. He, or that, those, that worship band was incredible. Wasn't that cool? But Church Inc. says, let us do stuff for you. And we read in verse 1 of the passage, he says, Go near to do what? Go near to listen. Now, is there anything wrong with listening? I mean, if there is, then all of us are guilty of telling our children the wrong thing. Are you listening to me? How many of you said that to your children somewhere along the line? Any of you who did not, did not raise your hand, you're lying. All right, you, you, your, your children, you somewhere along the line said to your child, are you listening to me? Because I want you to listen. Why do we need to listen? But we don't listen to absorb, we listen to act. We listen to learn how to do so that we can do it. But Church Inc. and, and this, this mentality, this human mentality toward religion says, you just draw near and listen. Don't do. Don't make a sacrifice. We'll make the sacrifice for you. Don't do the thing. All right, we'll do the thing for you. An organization wants consumers. It doesn't matter what the vision statement of your, of your, your retail store is. I walked into Best Buy one time, and they had this huge vision statement on the wall. And I was staring at it and staring at it, and staring at it, and I can't remember what it said, and they don't put it on their website, but I'm looking at this vision statement and realizing it has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on in the church, in the, in the, the Best Buy. Because the people I talk to at Best Buy, first of all, if you work in a computer store, you should really know how the computers work. This is a general rule. Um, and, and these guys, I mean, I was like, so what's in this computer? Stuff. I mean, they, they gave me lots of numbers and statistics, but really that's all that it boiled down to. This is stuff. They just want consumers. They want you to buy something. They want you to buy into something. They want you to, to, to but they don't want you to actually do much other than consume. It's interested in getting you to spend, not getting you to do. Secondly, in verse 2, as we're, as we're reading through the passage, it says, Do not be quick with your mouth and do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God, because God is where? He is... Go ahead, say it out loud. In heaven, and you are... So let your words be few. What? The scriptures are very plain that God is everywhere, that he is omnipresent. So it doesn't matter whether I say it or I think it, he knows it. In fact, the writer of the psalm said, if I make my bed in hell, he knows I'm there. If I ascend to the heavens, he knows I'm there. Whether I'm laying down or standing up, walking or sitting, he knows I'm there. He knows what's going on in my mind. And yet in church ink, in, in a human religion, what they are interested in, and what, what, what it wants you to do is to put up some show but, and put up some and, and let you and give you some separation, but it's not really interested in the supernatural. 
not really interested in the supernatural. Oh, it's fine. It's fine if we say God does this, or God answers prayer, or God will heal, or God will fill in the blank. It's fine if we say that. But when it comes to our actions in Church Inc., it's pretty much us that do it. It's pretty much, let the, you know, oh, well, you know, we'll make sure that somebody is praying for that or doing that or, or, or we don't. We don't see the supernatural in church ink. You see the super emotional. But you don't see the supernatural. Because there's a separation between me and God. And let me tell you something. Human religion wants a separation between me and God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. It wants that separation. You say, I thought religion's point was to try to get in with God. It wants to win God's favor to keep God from being upset, but it doesn't want it doesn't want me to have to relate with God because if I'm relating with God, if you're relating with God, if the church is bound in a supernatural relationship with God, guess what? We have to fall in line with God. So human religion says, "Hey, there's a separation, God's in heaven, you're on earth. Don't don't never let the twain meet." Because if God showed up, he would wreck business. Because in Church Inc., we have our expectations of the way that things should be. And if God showed up, he would mess up what we do. One of these sermons full of uncomfortable silences. Here we go. Uh, Verses 3 and 4. Church Inc. doesn't want you taking risks. You know, here's verse 3. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. I want you to think about that. What's actually being said there. It's actually being said, you know, you dream about things because you're thinking about it. And you might actually ask God to deal with something that you're thinking about. So just be warned about that. Don't, Don't rush into... A relationship with God. Don't rush into expecting God to do what God says He can do. Don't don't rush into those things. Just kind of back off. It's just like a dream. It's subconscious. You're not doing it on purpose. You don't know what you're doing. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. Now, what's subtly said there is, um, essentially, don't take a risk on God. Because if you, don't, if you don't fulfill that, look at what's going to happen to you. God's going to judge you. God's going to destroy you. God's going to break you down. Again, remember, this is human wisdom. I'm not saying that the Bible is wrong. I'm saying that, that what it's reporting is kind of a human mentality toward things, which is basically in order to avoid breaking a vow with God, what's the best way to avoid breaking marriage vows? Don't take them, Right? I mean, that's the best way. I mean, Elizabeth Taylor wouldn't have been divorced seven times if she would have just lived with the guys instead of marrying them, right? I mean, that would have been fine. She would have been okay. What's the best way? Um, uh, you know, what is, what is the best way to make sure you never break a promise? Never make a promise. 
What is the best way to make sure you never, uh, that you never ever fall short of what God wants you to be? Never let God make you what he wants you to be. The best way to avoid responsibility is to never step into the responsibility. You know, the, and, and to borrow from our popular culture, a couple of years ago, the mortgage companies all fell. And we all know that subprime loans, the whole mess, the whole disgusting thing. And, and thousands of people said, oh, now I can't pay this mortgage. And, and for some reason, we decided as a people, I'm not going to say the government did it because the American people made this decision. Um, now, we met, some of us disagreed, but the decision was still made. Along the way, we made the decision, hey, you're not responsible for the promise that you made. We'll take care of it for you. You know, this is foolishness. If you make a vow, you fulfill the vow. If you make a decision, if you know that God wants you to do something, then you work at it until you can do it. Because if God moved you to do it, that means he will empower you to do it, and you can do it. Now, you can't do it apart from him, but it can be done. The mentality, the response that most people have to the idea of the supernatural is to say, well, it's better that I not get involved then I get involved and find out that I can't do it. Because then I'll blow the covenant with God and God will be angry. It'll be just be a mess. And rather than preparing ourselves and thinking biblically, and again, there is truth in here, that we have to be, be careful what we vow to God, but don't go the other extreme of never vowing to God, never making a promise, never risking anything, never stepping out, never taking a chance. Because if I never take a chance, I never get hurt. I think Jesus told a parable about that. He had these three guys, this king, who said to these three guys, hey, here's a lot of money for you and a little bit of money for you and a tiny bit of money for you. And he left. And when he came back, the guy with a lot of bit of money had doubled it. And the guy with a little bit of money had doubled it. And the guy with next to no money had taken it and buried it in the dirt because he was afraid of God. He was afraid of the king. Any of you familiar with this story? Um, What did the king do with the guy who didn't take a chance? condemned him he said you didn't have any faith that i knew what i was doing when i gave you that you didn't have the faith that when i invested a blessing in you i'd invested in you so that it would be given away and it would grow and it would profit and when i came back it would be bigger than it was instead you said well what god gave me i've got to hold on to because if i take a chance if i take a risk never know what's going to happen the world is full of risks. The world is full of chances. And it doesn't matter what you do to safeguard yourself, those risks and chances still exist. And one of the, the issues of the church is that we, we form this corporate identity, we form this business mentality of, of basically um, operating according to human standards because we say, if we take a risk, if we take a chance, we might lose what we've got. And we can't afford that. We can't risk that. We can't take a chance on God. That's human wisdom. And it fascinates me that uh, so many of the churches that claim to be like faith-oriented really are ultimately driven by not taking risks. 
They tell you to take the risks that basically will come for you. The the prosperity gospel. The biggest risk that prosperity gospel churches ever tell you is to give your money. But why do they tell you to give your money? Is it because God, God, you know, God commands it? Is it because because it's an act of discipline? Is it because God wants you to do it? No, it's because if you give the money, then God will give you tenfold or a hundredfold back. Even the risks are phrased in a sense that there really is no risk. I mean, if you had an investor that showed up to you and said, hey man, give me five bucks and in, 100, in, in uh, two years I'll turn it around, I'll double it. You're going to give him five dollars, you're going to give him five hundred thousand dollars. Of course you're going to give him all the money. You're going to say, hey, there's no risk involved. This is risk free. This is guaranteed. So even these risky churches are really, they're not dealing in risk. They're dealing in promises. Now false promises, by the way. But they're still, they're still selling it as if there is no risk. And let me tell you something. The church of Jesus Christ is a risky business. Of the 12 apostles that Jesus chose, one of them committed suicide because he couldn't stand up to the standard. And 10 of them died martyrs' deaths. And the one that managed to survive was the one, John, who managed to, along the way, get boiled in oil and survive. I would have rather died, to be perfectly honest. It's a risky business. In fact, it's not a business at all. It's a risky lifestyle. It's a risky way of walking. It is a chance-oriented thing. Now, it's not reckless chances, but when God moves us to take a step of faith, we need to take the step. And we need to risk it all. We're not willing to risk it all. We haven't given it all to Christ. I pointed this out earlier, but here's the other thing about Church Inc. It relies on go-betweens. Remember those temple messengers running between you and God. There's a separation between you and God. There's a separation before the, between, uh, and, and so you need a special class of people. You know that the word clergy, a word that I absolutely despise. The word clergy comes from the word clerk. You know what its meaning is? Originally, it was because ministers could read and write so they were called clerks because clerk means that they could read and write but before too long it became this mentality that there is a special class of people who are better gifted to talk to god than you are and essentially this special class of people they manage things for you because you can't manage it and you know what happened in church inc And whether Church Inc. is the Catholic Church of the Middle Ages or whatever, it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is what happened was that people said, well, they'll take care of it. We've got the go-betweens. I had somebody come to me one time. We were talking about, and some people may remember this, and I don't mean to insult anybody, but we were talking about evangelism and the gospel and how it is the responsibility of every Christian to live the gospel out. Not to, not to go through like a bullet point list with everybody we meet. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? But to be the presence of Jesus Christ everywhere that we are. To be the body of Christ. And somebody came up to me and actually said to me, that's what we pay you for. I may have shared this with you before. This is absolutely not what I am paid for. I am not paid to be the go-between between everybody and the world. I'm not paid to be the peacekeeper. What am I paid to be as a preacher, as a pastor, 
as a vocational minister. And it may shock you. But the only vocation that's actually listed for a pastor in the scriptures is that he equipped the saints for the work of the ministry. I'm not paid to be the temple go-between. The elders are not your temple go-betweens. And I'm not yelling at people. Please don't misunderstand. I, I, I'm, this is, this is, I'm not saying, oh, you know, people came to us at Grace and they said that you're the go-between. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just bracing us. Because this is not Church Inc. This is not a, a world governed by these principles of human religion. And the church cannot be judged by the standards of human religion. And human business. And we say, well, the, this should be, and this should be, and this should be. Why should this be, this be, this be? Is it because the Bible says it is? Or is it because uh, we have created a human system? Which, by the way, most people don't like. Even people who go to Church Inc. and enjoy Church Inc. have issues with Church Inc. And whenever they have an issue with Church Inc., if it gets big enough, it boils up and they blame the CEO and they fire him. You know, the apostles commissioned leaders, elders, bishops in the church, presbyteroi, episcopoi, not go-betweens. Pastor, is, it comes from the word pasture. It means shepherd. It means to lead us into the fields where we can get our nourishment and our strength so that we can minister. It is not as a temple go-between. And anybody who, is, who doesn't want to interact with God is more than willing to buy the services of someone who would do it for them. A priest, a preacher, an evangelist, a prophet, a guru, a missionary, whoever. Now we have to ask you the question, as I've tirated on all of this. What did Jesus say about church ink? Jesus said in John chapter 4, speaking to a Samaritan woman who worshipped at a place different from Jerusalem, he said to her, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That it doesn't matter whether you worship in Jerusalem or in Gerizim, which was the city where the Samaritans worshipped. The only thing that mattered was that there was a relationship with God. A revolutionary idea that was already being struggled with a thousand years before. There are no go-betweens. There's nobody that stands between me and God. We as a church stand together in the presence of God, ready to do what He calls us to do. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has some thoughts for us. One of those really, really popular encouraging passages. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. 
Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. He goes through and he talks more and more about it, but he boils it down to this. Is the church risk-averse? We say, don't take chances. Keep your head down. Keep your hands to yourself. Just don't upset God. Is God a tired father sitting on his bark lounger watching some TV, having a couple of cold drinks, waiting for his children to go to sleep so that he can go to bed? And if they irritate him, he gets mad and screams and yells, is that God? Is God uh, waiting to punish us, just waiting for the opportunity to smack us across the side of the head? Because this is the way often Church Inc. will sell faith to you. They will say, oh God, God is... Now, they won't phrase it this way, but basically, God is angry, and he is, he, the only thing that holds Him back is a tiny bit of grace and a tiny bit of mercy, and give him a chance, and he will smack you across that. Blow a shot, and he will take you down. That doesn't jive with me. Because in the scriptures I read that his love endures forever. And yes, God is angry with sin. But God is not, that's not his default setting. God desires us to take the chances that He calls us to take, the risks that He calls us to risk, the things that He gives us, He gives us to take chances with. Not stupid chances. God gifted me with discernment, so I've decided to become a strip club inspector. No, you've decided to become a moron. But God gives us a gift and gives us a challenge and gives us something to do. And we have to be willing to step up to the plate and say, we're going to take the chance. We're going to take the risk. We're going to dive in head first, headlong, all the way, because we don't want to be Church Inc. Let me ask you a question. Which would you rather be a part of? An organization where as long as you don't step out of line, you're okay. As long as you don't upset the God, just don't attract the attention of the God, you're okay. Would you rather be a part of that? Or would you rather be a part of the thing that's described in the book of Acts? And if you don't know what it is, I would challenge you to read the book of Acts. It's not very long. You can read it less than an hour. And see the intensity of the fellowship and community of that body of people who were united by taking risks in Christ. I mean, guys preaching in the temple, getting arrested. And nobody goes, oh man, don't preach in the temple again, because that's a real risk. They get out, and what's the first thing they do in the book of Acts after they've been arrested for preaching in the temple? They go right back. They say, oh, they're stupid. No. No. They were doing what God wanted them to do. And they were taking the chance. We could be safe. We could be happy. 
or we could be the church. Heavenly Father, God, the the people who have gathered here this morning have taken more risks and more chances in the last six months, the last year almost, than is humanly reasonable. And God, the, the, the guests who walk through the door have no idea what's going on sometimes. God, we are often challenged and tempted to get into a comfort zone to build our own gardens and tend them. But we were called into your garden to tend it, to take the chances and risks that you call us to because you give us the gifts. Give us discernment and wisdom. Give us the strength and the ability to take the chances that will grow your kingdom, not ours. Help us never to be comfortable with human religion and just keeping our heads down. We pray this through the cross of Jesus Christ.